morning's reading comes from the book of Esther on page 502. Esther 502, starting at chapter 2, verse 1. Page 502, chapter 2, verse 1. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what, he, and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captain with Joachim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Hegai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Hegai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favour. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants, selected from the king's palace, and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked to and fro near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a young woman's turn came to go to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she was wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to the care of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihail, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Hegai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favour of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favour and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Page 
and the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts be pleasing to you this morning. Amen. So, last week we celebrated Pentecost with Bishop Ruth, and she left us with a challenge, which was to fill our own shoes. I wonder what you made of that but it's what she said God was asking us to do so that set me thinking about shoes they've been very much in the news in the last couple of weeks haven't they I read an article in the paper which discussed the strange business that it is apparently legal um, to in certain companies to require women to wear high-heeled shoes to wear something on their feet which can cause damage to their health, bunions, back problems, osteoarthritis, all sorts of nasty conditions. High heels, you see, may be to your taste, or they may not, but should be re we be required to wear them, the article asked. I wonder what your favorite shoes look like. Describe them to somebody sitting near you. What do they look like? Your favourite pair of shoes. I really rather like shoes and there are lots of smiles around the place um, so maybe you like your shoes as well I don't know but you see what makes shoes special to you might not really recommend them to me oh I think we need a bit of help with the sound desk there thank you you see in my house just inside the front door you will usually find a small mountain of shoes it's generally how I know who is in and who is out. You see, over the years when I arrive home, the easiest way to survey who is in the house is to look at the footwear that's discarded in the hallway because shoes, you see, reveal a lot about you and something more about your personality. Big shoes, small shoes, football boots, skate shoes, trainers, walking boots, wellingtons, shiny shoes, ballet pumps, high heels, Clean shoes, dirty shoes, old shoes, new shoes. They're all in my hall. You might think, you see, with a family of six plus assorted guests, there would be endless confusion. But do you know, I do not ever remember anyone leaving the house in shoes that were not theirs. 
I wonder why that is. Why do we so easily slip our feet into our own shoes when leaving the house, even if we know they pinch a bit at the toes or rub slightly on the heels? It's interesting, isn't it? Over the last few weeks, we've been using this metaphor of footwear to help us learn more about God by walking in the shoes of various characters from the Bible to see what God looks like from their perspective. We've tried on the sandals of Abraham, Moses, Joseph, and David. And we've tried to learn something more about God by examining their relationship with him. Today, we turn to the royal palace once more and we slip our feet into the shoes of a queen, Queen Esther. It's a curious story. Do you know, it doesn't mention God's name once. Not once in the whole book. Did you know that? So, if his name isn't mentioned, why is the story even there? Where is God in this story? What are we to learn about him in this story of rags to riches, an orphan turned queen? It's a story of plotting and mystery, jealousy and bitterness, courage in the face of danger and faithfulness and duty. As we glance again at the story this morning, I want to suggest to you that in it we see a story of God's sovereignty, a story of godly obedience and courage, and a story of God's timing. So, set around the same time as the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, that's kind of roughly 500 years before Jesus, in the land of Persia, which we now call Iran, Esther is an orphan who's taken in by her older cousin, Mordecai. And he cares for her as though she is his own daughter. To quickly summarize the story, Esther becomes queen and finds herself in a position of influence in the land when political unrest means her people, the Jews, are threatened with genocide. She's faithful to her God and her people and courageously acts without self-interest to save them. It's a great story. It's only ten chapters long, full of feasting and drinking and boasting and plotting. If you don't know it, it's well worth a read, especially before you go to home group next Tuesday when you'll be talking about it. So, back at the beginning, in the bit we read this morning, I think if she owns shoes at that early stage in her life. I don't suppose she found them awfully comfortable. Her parents both die, and she's left in the care of Mordecai, her cousin. I doubt anyone envied her very much. I don't think anyone would have blamed her for asking why this had befallen her. No one wants to lose their parents at any age. And no matter how loving the, par the person who cared for her in their absence, it was not an easy start to life. I expect she wrestled with many hurts and many sadnesses. She might have had days when she asked the question, why me? As the story unfolds, King Xerxes falls out with his first wife, Vashti, and finds the need to acquire another one. 
Being the king in that culture meant that he could simply invite all the prettiest girls in the land into his palace to be prepared for his pleasure. Esther, we're told, is lovely in form and feature and is chosen and taken into the palace to receive all the best beauty treatments that money can buy. I wonder how she felt about that development. I think it might have been rather alarming for a young woman to be taken away from her loving, adoptive family home and enclosed in the palace. Now I'm sure that her shoes at that stage were very expensive and beautiful, but I'm still not sure that they would have been awfully comfortable. For as we know, money does not really make you happy. Last year, we hosted a toppings event here for the launch of a book by Manolo Blahnik, who, if you don't know, designed shoes of a spectacularly beautiful nature. They can cost as much as a small car, you know, but they are beautiful works of art. However, I'm not sure that they're the last word in comfort. These two things do not always go together in the world of shoes, I don't think. So this is a challenging story of God's sovereignty. In the story of Esther, God is in charge, even when his name is not mentioned. It reminds us God is in charge even when we don't understand, or perhaps, if we're honest, don't like the way events are unfolding around us. Romans 8, 28, it's a very famous verse, and it reminds us that all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and have been called according to his purpose. But, you know, being in God's will does not necessarily feel wonderful. It does not necessarily excuse us from trials and hardships. And we must be sensitive to people's pain when we consider that verse from Romans. It's not always easy to find God in some situations. And honestly, I've had days when I would just as soon punch you on the nose as have you read that verse to me. Because sometimes life hurts and it really just is not fair. We can't always choose what happens to us in life. We can, however, always choose how we respond. God's plan for our life is far bigger than we can imagine. And often he would use us for the eternal good of others. And this is what we read in Esther's case. Without ever mentioning his name, as her story unfolds, we see God's sovereignty at work to use her to save her people from genocide. Esther chooses to respond with godly courage and obedience to her difficult circumstances, and she allows God to use her to fulfill his will for his people. I do not doubt that in the days of chapter 3, when the evil Haman takes power and tricks the king into effectively signing a death warrant for all Jews, Persia felt like rather a dark and dangerous place to live. 
Queen Esther is called upon to take a huge risk. To go before the king uninvited carried a death penalty if the whim took him. But if she dared to do so, her people might be saved. What a dilemma for a young girl. Perhaps you're facing a difficult situation this morning. Queen Esther sets us a striking example of courage and obedience in difficult circumstances. Beset with a problem, she turns immediately to prayer and fasting. And because she is in to it, way over her head, she asks others, her community, to pray and fast for her too. She feels the darkness closing in around her and she's aware of how unequal to the task she is. So she calls out desperately for God to meet her in her distress. The point is not so laboured in the story that you could quite easily miss its importance. But Esther, even though she now, in human terms, has power and influence, does not lose sight of God's sovereignty overall. She knows God's answer will be the right one for her people, and she asks them to join her in prayer. This is why we come together as a community to worship, to read God's word, and to support one another in prayer. We're not designed to operate as lone rangers, because frankly, most of us are also way out of our depth, and we need to be in relationship with others to benefit from the support that that gives. Do you have Christian friends to whom you can turn for support and prayer in a crisis? Are we aware of the issues facing other members of our home group, the people that we're sitting near in the coming week? It is humbling to admit that there are things you're finding difficult, I know that. But your brothers and sisters in Christ are there to support you in prayer and fasting if need be. As a body, if one of us suffers, we all do. And it's good to offer support and encouragement when one or the other of us is under pressure and feeling perhaps that we're not up to the task that lies before us. Fully aware of her own inadequacies and yes, I think, tempted to hide away and hope for the best, Queen Esther calls on the support of God's people, submits to God's will, and courageously faces the task that God sets before her. I think it would be fair to say, in Bishop Ruth's terms, Esther does quite a good job of filling her own shoes. She sets about the task that God puts before her. Queen Esther could have been miserable and moaned and whined about the Paris, saying how difficult her lot was. In fact, she would not have been wrong, would she? But perhaps God would not have used her as fully as he did if that had been her approach. Alternatively, she could have chosen the easy life. After all, one might say, what good fortune for the poor little orphan girl. No one knew of her background, and so 
as the story unfolds and the intrigue deepens, when her people, the Jews, are threatened with extinction, she could simply have lain low in the safety of the palace and hoped nobody would find out. She must have been tempted. I wonder what you would do in her shoes. It's not easy to stand up for the gospel sometimes, is it? Sometimes it's very tempting to lay low and enjoy people's good favour and hope no one exposes your weekend habit of church-going and Christianity. Are there areas in your life where God is calling you to step out in faith, to stand up for what you know he made you to do? Perhaps in your family or in your workplace, God is even now challenging you to faithful, courageous obedience for the sake of another's faith. Or it may be that you're quietly choosing to avoid the heat by failing to take the risk that God is offering you. The story of Queen Esther is a story of God's sovereignty. It's a story of her godly courage and obedience. And it's a story of God's timing. In the Acts of the Apostles, Luke tells us, and I'll read this bit if I may, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. In much more direct terms, Mordecai tells Esther in chapter 4, who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Not for her own benefit, but for the benefit of her community. God has chosen quite specifically to place Esther in the palace in a position of influence so that he might use her. Her route to get there was not an easy one in my view anyway. No one made her step forward and seek an audience with the king. Only she could choose to do that. Because she was courageous and faithful to her God, he was able to use her quite simply by being whom he made her to be. As Bishop Ruth might say, by filling her own shoes. I'm going to end as we began with the shoe metaphor because I think it works for us all, really. We're all different and yet all called and loved by God and we all have a choice. We can look at other people's shoes and think perhaps how much more comfortable or desirable than our own they might look. It is possible to waste a lot of energy looking at someone else's life and thinking it looks better in some way than your own. Equally, 
We might put on our own shoes and hobble around moaning about how uncomfortable they are. There are undoubtedly times in life that are uncomfortable and challenging, but we are free to choose our own attitude of heart, our own focus. We do have another choice, however. Like Esther, we can embrace God's timing and his call, and with his strength, not our own, his strength, we can take a risk in his name and offer ourselves in his service and to his glory. Saint Teresa of Avila said, Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion is to look out on the earth. Yours are the feet by which he is to go about doing good and yours are the hands by which he is to bless us now. The book of Esther is a peculiar story in many ways, distanced from us by time and culture. But as we step into the shoes of Queen Esther, we see God's sovereignty at work to save his people. We're challenged to act with godly obedience and courage, whatever circumstances come our way in life. And in faithful prayer, trust not to our own strength, but to God's timing. It's my prayer for us today that we will take Queen Esther's lead. As a church and as individuals, we may wholly rely on God. May we choose to take risks in his strength and may we fill the shoes he's given us for the sake of his kingdom here in Walcott. To paraphrase Mordecai, who knows but you have come here for such a time as this. Amen.